In, in Advent, the season of Advent, we reflect as a people on how Christ came in the midst of history. Did you hear all of that in the gospel passage? There was all this about the, the rulers at that time. And basically what the gospel of Luke is saying to us is in the midst of all that was going on in the world and all the halls of power in the wilderness, God's prophet came and he prepared the way of God to come into the world. God arrives in the midst of history, genuine history, in surprising places. So we reflect on how Christ came in history. He came to a people who were very weary with their waiting for God. So that's where the people were in the book of Malachi that um, Scott read for us. Their waiting had even caused them to grow calloused and cynical toward God. In a part that we didn't read this morning, the Lord says to Israel, your words have been hard against me. But you say, how have we spoken against you? And it says, you have said it is vain to serve God. The people have grown so weary and so calloused in their waiting that they have begun to say that it is vain to serve God. There's no benefit. What's the point? And you hear this from many people today who have been a part of the church. They have begun to accuse God. Now, the, the Bible is filled with cases where people challenge and say hard things to God. And, and we should take these things to God in prayer. But the calluses had grown very hard over the hearts of God's people in the book of Malachi. So their waiting for God had done a number on them. And as Andrew said last week, in Advent, Israel's waiting actually becomes our waiting. We not only reflect on how Christ came as an infant, we also remember and look toward his promise to come again, that he will come in the midst of history again. And this interim period between Christ's first coming and his second coming is a very challenging test of endurance for us. It is a very challenging test of endurance, of faithfulness. It's wearying, and there are temptations of all kinds for us to give up on waiting. Because living with anticipation, many of us know this, living with anticipation and living with hope, that takes energy <coughs> to retain some hope that things will be different, that our lives will be different, that the world will be different. And the difficulties of life can make us feel sort of like a human pinata, like how much can you take? <coughs> I want to draw out three points, mainly from the book of Malachi, chapter 3. So if you do have a Bible and your hands are not frozen, I would encourage you to, to turn to Malachi, chapter 3. And Malachi is one of those really tough books to find in the scriptures, and this is why the Bible has a table of contents. So if you need that, feel, feel free to use it. Don't worry about someone who may judge you beside you. Here's the first point in Malachi, chapter 3. The Lord, uh, I think Jan was judging Ed just then. Is that what was happening? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the first point. I'm just. <laughs> the Lord will come to you. This is, this is what Malachi is saying. The Lord will come to you. This is what the Lord was, is saying. He will come to you. This is the second part of verse 1. In Malachi 3, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, 
He is coming. For Israel, this promise was fulfilled in very surprising ways. So the child Christ arrived at the temple in Israel to be dedicated to God by Mary and Joseph. And there were very few people who knew who he was when he arrived. Suddenly, the Messiah himself showed up at the temple and very few people even realized he was there. His identity was hidden in his juvenile humanity at the time, but he suddenly arrived and only Simeon and Anna, who were waiting for him as they were, recognized him for who he was. Oh no. Oh my. Something has happened. We've been waiting and he is here. The messenger of the covenant in whom they delighted the promises of God to Israel for hundreds of years arrived. Simeon and Anna saw and they rejoiced. Now, later in the New Testament. Christians are are identified as the Lord's new holy temple. The house in which God dwells. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, says the Apostle Paul. And Malachi again says the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming. The Holy Spirit is the deposit of the new covenant that God has made with Christians through Jesus Christ, through his blood. And the full inheritance of the promises and of this covenant is what Christians wait for to live fully in the presence of God as his beloved children, to be made right in every way and for everything to be made right at his return. So to read Malachi in light of the New Testament is to hear God saying that the one whom we seek will suddenly come to his church. And he will suddenly come to all of us who are temples of his Holy Spirit. So this speaks to Christ's first coming and his second coming. He will arrive. He will come to his church. He will rescue his church from all the evil that we endure, from all our waiting. He will fulfill his promises like he did for Simeon and Anna there at the temple that day. But it also speaks not just to some distant hope. It also speaks to what God does in between. So I want you to think about Mary. An angel came suddenly and visited Mary. And she suddenly became a temple of God in the most physical of ways. Think about this. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you're going to be anointed from on high. And you are going to bear the Son of God. Mary's own body became literally the dwelling place of Christ. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the New Testament, especially if you were to read the book of Acts that records like the history of the early church, you have this record of followers of Jesus like Peter and Paul repeatedly experiencing these sudden visitations of the Spirit of Christ. So leading them a new way. So, for instance, Peter's in prison. And the prison doors are opened by a visitation from on high. This happens to Paul and Silas. While they're imprisoned, this, uh, Paul is rescued from a violent storm in the sea. 
And what these stories are all illustrating is that when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the one whom you seek will suddenly in the midst of the challenges of your life, he will come to his temple. And that's you. If the Holy Spirit lives within you, he will come to his temple. He will come to you and he will help you. He will help you through whatever challenges you face in life. He will visit you like he did Mary. This is the first point in this prophecy in Malachi. The Lord will come to you. And what you're to do is you're to look for him in the midst of your life. In the challenges of your life. In the weariness of your life. Are you you looking for him? Are you waiting for him in the midst of the things that are the most difficult for you. Even if you're a person who is doubting the faith, or you're not even a Christian, I want to point out one more thing in this passage from Malachi. Malachi says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to you. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. One way of reading this is that even if you're doubting or not sure you want to believe this stuff, this God is truly who you're seeking in your life. This God is the one that you truly are delighting in at the deepest levels of desire in your soul. While you might be angry or frustrated at God or who you imagine God to be, when you, meet, when you do meet Christ, you will love Him. There will be nothing about God and about Christ for you to dislike when you finally meet Him. All the things that you may resist about Him now, you will find irresistible when He comes. He is the substance of your deepest desires. So... Won't you relinquish your fears and let down your guard and ask him to come to you and visit you with his spirit? The Lord will come to you. He will. But here's a second point in this passage. Even though he is exactly who you are seeking, and even though he is the one in whom you delight, when he comes, it's painful. When he comes, when he visits you, it can be painful. So there were other occasions when Jesus suddenly came to his temple. And those other occasions, he was no longer a child. Though he he was still hidden in his humanity and few recognized him. And on those occasions, he actually cleansed the temple. Did you notice in that passage that Stephanie read from, from us, for us from 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is saying to the people in Corinth who have resisted him and his corrections of them at every turn, he said, shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? And so many of us resist authorities like this in our world today. We see them as abusive and presumptuous. But this is the spirit of Christ. If you resist him, he will be like a rod. He will seek to cleanse you. But if you're willing to surrender to him, he'll come to you with a spirit of gentleness and love. 
So when Jesus goes to the temple during his earthly life, he comes to cleanse the temple. He comes with a rod, a whip, because the temple has been unwilling to receive his ministry. Now, in Malachi, we encounter one of the many ways that God's people, and that includes uh, us, uh, Christians, the ways that we can be hypocrites. So we want God to make things right, don't we? But the last thing we would want is for God to start with us. (laughs) And this is exactly what he does. God first targets those who make the request for justice and righteousness. He first comes after us. Peter says this in his first letter, 1 Peter 4, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. I want to make a broad comment here, and then I want to get more personal with you. First, the broad comment is, you know, all of the abuse and the sin that's being publicly aired regarding the church, and I mean the big C church, not just... The local church. There, there's an abuse scandal being investigated even in our own denomination of the Anglican Church of North America. And these things are grievous. They are dark. And they need to be named. It can destroy any confidence people have in the church. And, and that is a grievous part of it. And there are two things that are important in this to me. First, when the church has committed grievous sin, the church should not try to keep it quiet. We should never try to keep it hush-hush. It should be confessed. And when it's sin that has public ramifications, it will often need to be dealt with publicly. And that is hard in the world, especially in the world that we live in of Twitter and Facebook and the 24-hour news cycle. The church may have to endure ridicule, but the church always has to try to live into what it preaches about confession and forgiveness. So even if the world does not forgive us, we believe that God fully forgives true repentance despite how heinous our sins can be. So we should never try to keep our sins quiet, no matter how heinous they may be, because God is the one whose opinion very matters the most. And he is willing to forgive. Second, in my estimation, there's a judgment that is occurring in the church right now. We should not be fearful that the church on the whole will be destroyed. Instead, we should receive the judgment that God gives us and trust God's faithfulness to build his church and to build it up in holiness and in purity. So even while... It is a grievous thing that we're hearing. We should be thankful that God will not let the sins of his church go go into secret and remain in secret. They should be confessed so that they can be forgiven. Now to speak more personally. Malachi says in verses 2 and 3 that the Lord's coming is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And that he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Now again, what we need to do when you're reading the Old Testament like this, you need to read it with the New Testament. 
Peter says that we, the church, are being built up into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sons of Levi were the priests of the Old Testament. Peter is saying we, the church, are the priests now to God. All who are in Christ become priests, meaning we are his servants who intercede on behalf of the world and we bring him the sacrifice of ourselves, our bodies, and our souls. Here's the thing. If you are a Christian for very long at all, and if you seek to really follow Jesus, you realize that there are things about staying close to Jesus that are really painful. Sometimes it's easier to keep a distance between you and God. Because if you really try to stay close to Jesus, it's like having parts of yourself melted away very slowly. You probably know this, that the refining of metal involves the burning of it, causing the impurities to come to the top where they can be skimmed away. And the fuller soap that Malachi mentions, it speaks to the job of cleaning cloth in the ancient world or clothing. So in the ancient world, washing clothes involved either treading on the clothes or beating them physically so that you could work the soap in to get the stains out. Think about being inside of a washing machine and not one of the new fancy quiet ones, but one of the ones that almost walks while it's going. (laughs) Staying close to Jesus can feel a bit like that washing machine. Our psalm is very helpful to us here. Psalm 126 that Jenny read for us. Psalm 126 says that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And that is what a life with Christ and waiting for Christ in this world is like. Grief and joy are part of it. And many times the grief is a prerequisite for the joy. Are you finding this to be true for you? Some of you are grieving. You're grieving about things in your life that aren't the way that you wish they were. And you wonder openly to God why they're in that way. And you need to hold on to the promise that joy will come to you. That the presence of tears in our lives in a strange way is proof that joy and laughter are also part of life. Others of us are prone to avoid grief. We do not like it. And so we pretend that it doesn't happen to us. And we need to stop avoiding it and we need to be willing to walk through it. Trusting there's something much better on the other side of grief. And we may not need to do that alone. We may need to do that with someone here or with a counselor, but someone. Now, others are in that season of joy on the other side of some grief. And you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should give thanks and you should testify to it to help all of us. So again, the Lord will visit us, but it will be painful because the fire of his purity and his love 
will not allow us to go on with the ways that we are. He will purify us. Um, There was a part at the end of the passage where it says that God will make swift work of sorcerers and those who oppress their workers and adulterers. There's this whole list. And if you were to look at that list closely, what you would see is that this is a summary of the Ten Commandments. These are people who are uh, openly living against God's law. And, and what God is saying in that, that he will make swift work of them, is that because of the fire of his own love and purity, when he comes close to that, it simply burns up. And Paul says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians, that every human being will be tested by fire. And he's not talking about some uh, big uh, bonfire that God has built to torture people. He's saying that the fire of God's love and holiness, when it comes close to people, it will reveal what you have built your life on. And if you have built your life on things that are against God, there will be little left of you when you come close to him. But if you're willing to build your life on the rock that is Christ and on the things of Christ, when you come close to him, It will purify anything extraneous. It will burn that away. But there will be the solid core that with God's help, you have built up in your life. And you will be with him. Now, what Malachi says at the end of this, to bring it to a close, is that they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Now, the scriptures say in another place that it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Uh, I noticed L.L. Bean was trying to catechize me about this in a catalog they sent me this week that on the front said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The full reality of this is fulfilled at the end of all things. Because at the end, when God fulfills all his promises and when Christ returns and we are made who we're made to be, We will offer ourselves fully to God without any reticence, with no holding back. And there's not going to be any sense of injustice as if we don't have enough. We need you to give us more. No, at the end of all things, the only thing that will be left to do is for us to give ourselves to God. And that's why Malachi says at the end, they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. The only thing left. Is for you to give yourself to God. And even now, you have received the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you trust in him. The full forgiveness of your sins. And so the question in all of this, in this season of Advent, is are you now offering yourself to him in every way? Students, are you offering yourself to God in all the ways that you face temptation and challenges? And adults, in whatever situation of life you're in, are you offering yourself to God? Your work, your household, your marriage, your parenting, whatever it may be. The Lord will visit you. It will be painful, but it will be for your joy. Amen.